0: It was kind of funny, you know, we were talking to our female colleagues about the book and what we were what we were writing about and said, you know, we were talking about all these uh, mentoring relationships with women in the workplace and they looked at us and they go, well, wait a minute, you do realize you're two dudes writing about uh, mentoring relationships with women in the workplace and we're like, yeah, okay, we, we, we get that. And, but it was also very re- important to reinforce the idea that women's voices needed to be reflected in the work. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com.
1: Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Up podcast. This is your host, Agnes Suheretsky and today it is my great pleasure to be joined by Dr. David Smith, uh, who's joining me from Rhode Island today. Hi, good morning.
0: Hi, good morning, Agnes.
1: Um, so before we go uh, into the heart of the discussion and the conversation with David about his books and his career and his life's work. Uh, Let me just introduce him uh, a little bit and then I'll hand over to him because I always find it very fascinating when my guests have had really interesting careers. And as you will hear, uh, David also has a very interesting mix of careers, if I can say that, and and we'll hear from him how that came about. So Dr. David Smith is an associate professor of sociology in the National Security Affairs Department at the United States Naval War College. He's a former Navy pilot, and he's led diverse organizations of women and men uh, commanding squadrons in combat, and he flew more than 3,000 hours over 30 years including combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan, as a sociologist trained in military sociology and social psychology. Uh, David's uh, research focuses on gender, work and family issues, so totally at the heart of what we're all about at the Work Life Hub. Uh, and these topics include bias in performance evaluations, retention of women, dual carrier families, military families, and also women in the military. And uh, David is also the author of uh, a number of journal articles, book chapters, and two books. One of them is from 2016 that he co-authored with Brad Johnson called Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women. And this is going to be uh, the main focus of our conversation today. And then he also co-wrote another book with, uh, with Brad Johnson, which is going to come out later this year called The Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. And we're going to be touching on that book as well. So thank you again very much, uh, David, for being on the podcast today. So how did these two passions, careers come together, the military and sociology?
0: Well, first, Agnes, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here with your listeners today and to get the chance to talk a little bit about our work and, and why I think this is really important um, in, in business and industry today. So I started, as you heard, as a Navy pilot. Um, but let me just back up a little bit further to give you a little background and where my motivation comes from for a lot of the work that we do currently. And You know, I started as a student at the Naval Academy back in the in the mid 80s. And this was kind of my first introduction into seeing a profession that is male, you know, traditionally male dominated. um, And and how women were in many ways treated as second class citizens and in that environment. And um, that was that was kind of an eye opening experience for me. And it led into, again, my military career. Um, in many ways where women were integrated into the military. And so we saw gender integration happen in a variety of different settings. And while I think there was a lot of great structure in terms of policy and regulations and how we were how things were to be done um, that were necessary, there wasn't a lot of conversation along the way about how changing the demographics, the people um, who were in our, in our profession, was going to somehow fundamentally change the culture and the way we do business and, and the way we interact with each other in the workplace. And, and that, was never, that was never really addressed uh, as we went, went through that throughout my career. Um, I would tell you that much later in my career, so about after 20 years of being in the military, I went into becoming an academic, a, a military professor at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Um, And was back in my Ph.D. program in sociology at the University of Maryland. And this is where I had an opportunity to begin to explore some of these these issues academically, gender inequality and inequities um, in professions and in the workplace. And for me, you know, I wanted to start with the military first and foremost, because that's where my experience was. Um, and I, I will also share that uh, full disclosure, my, uh, my wife, um, who was a retired naval officer. Um, I've, I've had a chance to listen to and, and observe her experiences as well. So those, some of those shape uh, my own background and understanding of, of gender in the work in the military. So um, if you're going to study gender in the military and, and certainly around integrating fam- work and family experiences, uh, for women, then you need to study dual career couples in particular, because most the vast majority of military women uh, who, who are married are married to another service member. So that's where I I started my research on dual career couples and looking at not just the military, but other professional uh, men and women out there who are in dual careers and looking at how. Uh, Both the structure of the workplace and social influences and cultural influences influence decision-making and then outcomes that are related to retention, attrition, advancement um, out there and, and, and lead to a lot of these, some of these inequities we find in the workplace. So that's how we got started.
1: Uh, thank you very much for for sharing this. And you know, while you were uh, explaining, I was thinking, hmm, I will, Should I ask you if you had a lot of sisters? Uh, because that's where we also see some men get really engaged uh, who have had. But but you you, you told uh, you told us that that it was also via your wife that you've seen these experiences, perhaps from from the point of view of of a woman. Um, before we go uh, to you know the, starting to to discussing your book Athena Rising, we've had we've done some work with the United Nations uh, the last year and and um, you know some of these these work environments that are are very challenging um, you know like the the peacekeeping missions and but also studying you know the Australian. Uh, military and, and the UK, military and the police, th- these sectors. Um, would you say that there's still a fundamental belief that these these are jobs for men only?
0: I think there's certainly some of that underlying um, belief, uh, although I would suggest that that's, that's shifted and changed quite a bit over the years and, and certainly lots of research, um, even in um, outside of Western societies, and, and and as we begin to look at other societies today that are much, still much more traditionally, and based on, in some cases, religious backgrounds as well, um, we're still seeing, we're seeing the shift already happening there as well, about beliefs about what is, again, a traditionally male profession, or what is not, and what's acceptable, you know, for women to be involved in. Um, I had a uh, a graduate student I worked with we recently did some work in, uh, in the and looking in particular in, in the Middle East at, at particular Jordan, the country we were working with, uh, looking at women in the, in the military and and the police there, and again very traditional. Um, uh, ideology and beliefs about uh, work and family roles, in particular. But I, but again, we were already beginning to see from our respondents there the the shift in, in in beliefs about what where women it's appropriate for them to be working and what kind of roles they should be in.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's really great to hear. So after you 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 did your PhD and you were teaching and and continued your education, what then led you? to write the first
0: book, uh, Athena Rising? So I was at the Naval Academy for about eight years and teaching there with my, my good friend and colleague, Dr. Brad Johnson, and, and Brad is a prior Navy psychologist but a clinical psychologist by training and he's taught at the Naval Academy for the last 20 plus years as a civilian. And his research over the decades has focused Almost exclusively around mentoring relationship and what makes for good mentoring relationships out there, and it, as it turned out, we had a overlapping interest um, in understanding, in particular, as we think about professional development um, within professions out there, that um, that the access to resources like mentoring and sponsoring, in particular, coaching, could be uh, brought into that conversation as well. That access to these resources was not equal. It was not the same for different people, and in particular from a gender perspective that that women were not getting the same access to resources that, that men were, um, and that included in particular the part that, as I was alluding to earlier, that we really don't engage men in this conversation about why they need to be part of the solution. They're kind of this missing ingredient as we think about The solutions in the workplace that often we kind of focus and we look at women's women's advancement or retention in particular as a women's issue or a women's leadership issue. And so we focus a lot of resources on women. But in many cases, uh, part of that that solution has needs and has to be men. And so we set out in particular to focus and start on looking at cross-gender mentoring relationships and what worked really well, uh, what didn't work well, what were the Aspects that were holding people back or from not getting the most out of those relationships or even even entering into those relationships about why, in particular, men may be more reluctant to uh, to enter into a mentoring relationship with a with a junior woman uh, that they see at work. And so that's where we began to uh, to do the research. And Athena Rising, again, distilled all the social science, behavioral science evidence that relates to cross gender relations in the workplace. But it was kind of funny, you know, we were talking to our female colleagues about the book and what we were what we were writing about and said, you know, we were talking about all these uh, mentoring relationships with women in the workplace. And they looked at us and they go, well, wait a minute, you do realize you're two dudes writing about uh, mentoring relationships with women in the workplace. And we're like, yeah, OK, we, we, we get that. and But it was also very re- important to reinforce the idea that women's voices needed to be reflected in the work. And so. Uh, we had the great fortune to interview a lot of really high powered women across industries and professions out there and talk to them about what did you most appreciate um, in that mentoring relationship that you had with, with a with a man? Um, what were the attributes, the skill sets, what were the benefits and the outcomes that, that you found to be most rewarding? And then in some cases, what, what didn't work so well and, and what could they have done more of or less of to make it better? And then the then we had the opportunity to go back and interview their male mentors in most cases and talk to these men about those relationships and about what they learned and what again what they saw as best practices and what worked really well um, in in a cross gender mentoring relationship
1: now uh, I know that uh, sp- sponsorship is um, is something that is uh, discussed and in- and acknowledged, uh, especially across the US, in terms of supporting the advancement, career advancement of both men and women, and then this uh, sponsoring male sponsorship to women. But I, I have to say that in Europe, this is still quite a foreign concept. So, would you mind uh, explaining to listeners who may be new to this, um, you know, w- what does it mean to sponsor somebody at the workplace? And then I'll ask some follow-up questions.
0: Certainly, that's a that's a great question. I I think that it's often a little confusing about what do we specifically mean when we talk about sponsorship versus mentoring, and the way that Brad and I look at and we approach mentoring first um, is that it's a holistic perspective, right? It's the many ways we think about the traditional. Guiding and and sometimes coaching or teaching, right of of our mentees or proteges, depending on what uh, terms you like to use. Um, there's also an advocacy component that great mentors do, right? It's kind of a sub component or function of mentoring that they are advocates for their for their mentees, and this means because they know their mentees' goals and their dreams and what they're trying to attain. Um, they can also help place them and provide opportunity and challenges and skill development and all of these things that help them to grow and to achieve their dreams and goals. And that's that's that part right there is pure advocacy. And and this is where sponsorship comes into play, um, because that is sponsoring. And but it's interesting in the United States, we we have a I think an, an understanding of sponsorship where it doesn't necessarily have to be a relationship. So sometimes people are sponsored um, and they don't even understand or realize that it's happening. In other words, if I see a talented person in my in my workplace and I go, "Oh, you know, I would like them to work on this project with me or with somebody else," and I think it would be good for them and for the project, I can if I'm a person who is in a position of influence or leadership that can that affect that. Then I'll just do it, right? I'll pull them up and I'll and I'll put them, push them forward, and and help them, you know, advance in their careers. And this happens all the time with men. Uh, men do this for other men all the time, uh, because they're one, they're used to seeing other men out there, and they do this very naturally for each other. And sometimes um, one of the things holding us back is this perception as men of um, of how we see women and their potential, right? And we can talk more about that if. If that's useful for everyone, but the sponsoring is really the advocacy component of mentoring. Um, but in many ways, we've, we tend to separate those in how we talk about it in the business world as well as in, in the academic environment as well. That they they're they're two separate functions. They don't have to be because I think again, great mentors do the advocacy and the sponsoring uh, for their mentees because they know. Um, they know what they're trying to achieve. The challenge becomes if they don't have the position or the power or the influence to be able to do the sponsoring component. And that's where it's helpful in some cases then for them to kind of open up their social capital and then to connect them into others who can push them forward and, and help them to to do those things that they need to do.
1: Would you say that um, there is an element of affinity bias in men sponsoring other men that, you know, they see themselves perhaps in these younger men at an earlier stage in their career and thinking, oh, I wish I had this opportunity or someone would have, you know, um, given me this uh, opportunity or helped me put this wind into my sail. And and it's not not explicitly excluding women. It's just how we're wired of, of wanting to perhaps support others who we... Can identify with at an earlier stage in our lives.
0: Yes, absolutely. There's certainly, you know, this affinity bias. I think is is part of the equation in, in how we see each other, right? We have a uh, see see the future or the potential in others who look like us and, and do those kinds of things. Um, and, and this is part of the challenge, of course, that in in the workplace today, as you know, in in the United States, we just went over for the first first time in a long time in our history, um, women are, are the majority of in, in the paid workforce now. And so that means they're also the majority of the talent in the paid workforce. And so we're missing out on the opportunities. If, um, again, we're not recognizing and seeing that potential in people who don't necessarily look like us. We're also doing ourselves for talking about men who are in the majority in particular, you know, white men, uh, that, you're not getting the opportunity for growth. There's benefits here for having a more um, diverse and inclusive uh, set of mentees as well as mentors out there because they are helping you to see other perspectives and there's gaining access to other benefits that you wouldn't otherwise get if you just had a network of people who just look like you. And that can go from your professional network all the way to your own personal network.
1: Mm. And and why why is it so critical for women to also have senior male sponsors? Because I, I know that uh, many companies are running mentorship programs, and and we you know research tells us that women are over mentored, and 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 there's always a, a senior woman uh, who has gone through these challenges maybe of balancing work and family life or or you know assertiveness uh, being more uh, you know assertive in their careers and then they support uh, uh, they take younger or more junior colleagues women under their wings but but why is it so critical for women to then have these specifically male sponsors
0: and that's a great another great question that again this over mentoring of women and under sponsoring Um, It gets at the quality and the functions that people get within their mentoring relationships. And so in particular, as I mentioned before, advocacy and sponsorship in great mentoring relationships is is a part of it. It's it's inherent in that. Um, This is the part, though, that women don't get. We find this in the research over and over again, that if they're in a mentoring relationship with, with a senior man or no matter, regardless of how senior they are, they're often not getting the advocacy component of this. And and this could be, again, it could be due to the affinity bias. It could be to a reluctance to, to push women forward. There's a whole list of reasons why they're not getting it, but they're not. The bottom line is that in most professions today, and especially, you know, the ones that are male dominated. So if you think about tech and finance in particular, the military and the government, um, The numbers just don't work out. So the vast majority of the senior positions are held by men. So if you're if you're if you're doing a great job of recruiting women into your profession, which in in most cases we are doing a a much better job of this, that who's going to mentor these women? Um, If they're not enough, you can't expect all the handful of senior women uh, to be able to mentor this this growing uh, population of junior Talented women because they just don't have enough time in a day. They've got day jobs to do as well. So um, This is where it's part of it's just a, a pure numbers game that men have to be doing some of this as well The other again men tend to be the ones more likely to be in those positions of power and influence so They're the ones who can do the advocacy the sponsoring of these women. They can do the mentoring too but they most importantly they have the ability to again share their social capital to be able to push these women forward and, and make sure that again, they're being advanced and retained in the same way that talented men are, are being out there.
1: Mm, Thank you. And, and um, I don't know if the listeners are thinking the same (laughs) or is it just me jumping to uh, naturally to this next question. But when I was preparing for this conversation, you know, I had to, my mind just went to uh, the me too movement and especially the this new fear of uh, male coworkers in um, being caught up in a uh, situation that may be uh, me too or, or you know inappropriate or um, they may be there may be some backlash or um, so so i wonder whether now, even though we are speaking much more openly about all these issues, there's also perhaps a, a growing um, fear or concern from, from male or senior male co-workers, leaders in this type of, uh, of uh, um, workplace relationships.
0: Absolutely. And, and the research is bearing this out. We continue to see updates on this uh, from Bloomberg and Lean In and a variety of McKinsey, a, a variety of organizations out there doing research on this topic today that male managers and, and the more senior they are, are much less likely to mentor, to sponsor, to have lunch with, to uh, travel with, you name it, all of these interactions with women in the workplace um what's really interesting is that while this is being focused on kind of in a post me too era right now um when we did the research for athena rising this is pre me too you know our book came out in 2016 we were doing the research in 2014 and 2015 and we identified a host of reasons why men were at that point reluctant to engage in a in a mentoring relationship with with women at work and and often it had to do um, one you could say with unconscious bias or just perceptions implicit associations of, of how we see our female colleagues at work and if men would talk about the fact that they didn't see women as having that potential in their organization of, of, being leadership material of being strong enough of being able to, to be able to do these things that they saw them much more again in the traditional caregiving roles. And one, uh, one gentleman even told us that he said, Yeah, we just kind of look at women as being a risky investment, a flight risk, because they're these ticking time bombs of maternity. They're just gonna suddenly start popping out babies all over. And it's like and you know, while we can we can laugh a little bit about that, that is a perception, right? This underlying unconscious yeah. bias that if we see people that way, guess what? I'm not as likely to invest in them. Right. I'm not as likely to give them the opportunities or pull them forward or advocate for or sponsor them in the same ways that I do for, for the men um, that I have more of an affinity for to begin with. Um, some of the other things that people were concerned with, men had anxiety before me, too, about being in a, you know, a relationship, a professional relationship with a woman at work, because especially from a mentoring perspective, these are again, these are close, intimate, non-sexual Mentoring relationships um, that men would say, you know, I just feel a little uncomfortable about this because I don't really know how I'm supposed to act or behave. And they said that, you know, a lot of them talked about it in terms of we we call these their man scripts. These are kind of the social scripts that uh, that our families and society give us as we're raised. Raising boys at home, you know, they, hey, and I, I know how to interact with, uh, you know, with my mom. I know how to interact with a sister. Or, or um, and for the for the men who, who who married and have wives, you know, I know what that looks like. And and some of them even have daughters today, and they know what that looks like. But this other professional relationship with a woman at work, it's like, well, what is that all about, and how am I supposed to interact? Uh, and they're just worried about. Already they before me, too, they were they were anxious about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing and, and offending someone or, or, God forbid, ending up, you know, with a, a claim against them and being down in, in human resources or someplace. Um, and then me, too, occurred. Right. Um, and it really exacerbated some of these fears that men had. And at the same time, there was these underlying conversations that were going on in the workplace that were really harmful to, uh, trying to overcome some of the anxiety that men already have. And, and these are these false narratives out there that somehow women caused me to, it's like, no, sorry. Um, that was serial harassers and perpetrators. And thankfully many of them are, are, are going to jail now. Um, so nope, that's not true. Um, or that's suddenly somehow women are dangerous to be, to be in the workplace with. And it's like, no, they're not dangerous. Uh, they're not scary to work with. And then there's the, the concern around, um, again, this false narrative around that women are going to make false accusations about men in terms of sexual harassment. And again, the research does not show that it does not bear that out. These are urban myths. And if you, ask, if you ask another man about this, about where they heard that from, it usually starts with, well, I know a guy. And it goes from there. And it's just it's not true. And so we ask men to step back and go, look, let's do a reset here real quick about what Me Too is really about. And that is that women expect to be able to come to work and not be harassed and not be assaulted. It's a really super low bar. And I think, you know, as guys, that if you can't get over that bar, then maybe you should just get get out of your job and go do something else. Um, but um, the solution to all of this, by the way, is and, and again, the the psychologist, the social psychologist will tell you that the solution to this is more interaction. Right. It's called exposure therapy. <laughs> so you have to have more interaction, more lunches, more mentoring. Um to help you begin to understand and overcome some of these anxieties that we have. It's not less and it's not avoiding or isolating in the workplace either.
1: That's great. So would you argue that um, the role of HR or um, line managers or even senior leaders um, or you know some of the uh, women uh, groups in organizations could be to just create multiple opportunities for men and women colleagues to be able to interact with each other uh not necessarily one on one but but to but to create this kind of safe uh, casual uh, natural uh, environment where they lose these insecurities and then kind of lay the foundation for then building on that, okay, now we've done that, so now you could maybe feel more comfortable in engaging in a mentoring or, or a sponsorship uh, relationship.
0: Absolutely, and, and you know, we had initially approached this with Athena Rising as, as an opportunity to do that because, again, if you talk to men um, about mentoring and, they, they're very comfortable talking about it because most of them under, have been mentored or have been doing mentoring. And it's just a part of who they are and what we do in the workplace, whether they've had formal training or not. And so they're very comfortable. It's like leadership, right? We, oh, I'm a leader. Yeah, I'm a leader. And, and, and leader development, that's all important. And, and it's a very comfortable way to enter into this conversation. And now we, we can just talk about it from a more inclusive perspective about what works for everybody. And the really interesting part is, is you begin to increase the interaction, right? And we get, we get over some of the anxiety. We get more comfortable working with different people who don't necessarily look like us, who have different experiences. Well, then suddenly we become a lot more effective uh, at doing those things. And we we can, because we're breaking down, we're breaking down those walls. And this is where we begin to see the benefits in particular for men Um, who are either male mentors or they are being mentored by senior women as well, it works the other direction also, is that we find the benefits there are that they get this increased access to information that they wouldn't have otherwise had because they're, again, you're you're in a network now of people, a developmental network of people who have access to other information that, again, you didn't, wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, They have a broader, more diverse network, both within their organization and external to their organization. And the really great part of this that we think is really important from a leadership perspective as well is that we find that they have enhanced interpersonal skills, uh, more empathy, better EQ, right, which makes them better leaders um, in their organizations. And the, the really wonderful part of that is that at the end of the day, when you go home, you don't you don't check your EQ and your empathy uh, at the door. You get to take that home with you, and so it makes them better pa- partners and parents and, and spouses when they when they go home. So it's it's it truly is a, a win 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 for the organization, for both the the women as mentees and the men as mentors um, to be able to do this effectively.
1: I, I loved how you explained uh, how to open the doors uh, to these conversations and then these programs through you know. Get, getting the conversation going where their interest is and where their personal experience is. We, when we work with organizations, we always also tell them to f- try to find the, the, the point of least resistance. Where, where can, you, can, you, can you open the conversation? One of my favorite stories was this organization that wanted to engage more men, especially fathers, in the conversation around parental leave and work-life balance. And when they first called um, the group together, they said, we want to have, you know, a dad's network. We want to have a meeting for dads and, and fathers and, and nobody came. And then, they thought of, okay, how, what can we do now? So then they changed it and they just created, they said, today we're going to, or next week we're going to have a workshop around how to raise a high-performing child. And the room was full of the <laughs> fathers and the men. <laughs> and they were, okay, I'm here, I'm ready. And then, you know, first get them and, and try to find the interest. And, then, um, and they would then be motivated themselves to, to get more, to, to know more. Now, your your new book, uh, Good Guys, um, explores the issue of male allies. So we spoke now. Uh, we talked about mentorship and sponsorship and these relationships. But but how did you then? Uh, how did this new book flow from your previous work? And, and what was it that made you and your your co-author think, okay, now we we need to tackle this part?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's- Athena Rising came out in 2016, and we were busy speaking and doing workshops around cross-gender mentoring and inclusive mentoring. Um, Me Too went widespread about a year later, and we found that organizations were more interested in the broader conversation around allyship. And, And this is, again, I think it's important because they're really looking at you know, mentoring, sponsoring can be just kind of a, a very narrow or niche area within your organization of, of how you are working to, again, hire, recruit, retain, advance, you know, a diverse workforce out there. Um, allyship really gets at no matter what level, or what your role is within an organization. If you're the most junior person all the way up to you're the CEO or the chairman of the board out there, that you have a role that you can um, influence people in your organization as an ally, people who are, who are not who don't look like you or don't have the same experiences as you, and it's really interesting. You know, ally terminology came out of the LGBT uh, community back in the, you know in the fifties and sixties. You know, again, that community recognized that hey, without the help of straight uh, allies, heterosexual allies in the workplace, they were never going to to normalize. Um, their experience and be able to advance. And and then it, it moved on and through race and ethnicity. And, you know, just only in the last, you know, five, 10 years has become much more focused on gender now, uh, looking at men as allies in particular, but it really is a, it's a much broader concept um, beyond just um, doing this from a gender perspective. And so, yeah, we got pulled into this conversation and we we said, you know, we started with a very narrow focus and now we're now we're going out. And we're really opening up the aperture all the way um, in terms of how do we do this broadly in an organization, no matter what level you're at and in, in whether you're an individual just trying to help and look at this from your own perspective. And how do I show up every day in the workplace and, and supporting and collaborating um, with women and and to promote. Uh, fairness and justice and gender equity in the workplace. And then, you know, holding yourself accountable for that work that, you know, that you're doing that at the same time, there's a public piece to allyship, right? That we have to hold not only ourselves accountable, but others accountable for doing the work as well. Um, and And the follow on to that finally is eventually you have to get to Um, How do I change the process, the everyday practices we have within our business and our organization? Because that's where these biases and inequities are created every day. It's part of the culture. And so, as we begin to recognize and see where those are and examine where those are we then we can affect change within the system um, and it really that's where we're going to make long lasting long term changes is is beginning to fix it and you know that and that looks at everything throughout the, the whole employment or human resources process within an organization everything from how do you recruit and hire people all the to um, how do you retain and advance people? How do you pay people, reward people, all along the way? You have to look at each of those processes and and see how um, it, different people are experiencing those uh, in in ways that are not necessarily as fair for others out there. and And that's really where where we've we've gone with good guys is is to look at this very broadly and how do we begin to instill a culture of allyship within our uh, workplace so that everybody feels like they're a part of the the solution, not the problem.
1: We went through a similar experience also in, in some of the organizations that we worked with where they would introduce teleworking and the teleworking wouldn't work um, and then they call us in to fix that and then you realize that, okay, we have to rewind here and take a you know, zoom out and look at the, as you just explained, the bias and the underlying beliefs, the story, the organization is telling itself about who we are and how we work and what we're about. And that, again, on the other hand, influences people's behavior and whether they're being open about their, you know, choices, about their lives, about their care responsibilities, about their career aspirations, or they're hiding it, they're conforming and yeah, I think that that's a great—it's uh, it's a great uh, uh, probably combination to have uh, as a bundle pack your books because you know one of them is there the good guys to create this enabling environment and then Athena Rising is then going to the very specific issue as you said of attraction and retention and career development. So uh, unfortunately, the time is always running very way too fast on podcasts. And I would have a thousand more questions to you, uh, David, but uh, I, I'm, I'm aware that uh, we've been talking for, for a while now. So before we go to the last question, may I ask you to tell listeners where they can find out about your work, uh, where they can, you know, pre-order the book uh, or buy Athena Rising and, and look at your uh, uh, other uh, work on speaking and workshops?
0: Certainly, and thank you for allowing the opportunity. So my website is is one place, and it's davidgsmithphd.com. Um, it would be a great place. You can always follow me on uh, on social media and, and my Twitter and my LinkedIn Handles are the, just the same as my website, David G. Smith, PhD. Um, and, and both of the books are available on Amazon. Uh, so you can go to Amazon and search on Athena Rising, uh, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women, or are, you can pre-order right now and it will be available in October. The new book, Good Guys, uh, How Men Can Be Better Allies in the Workplace for Women.
1: Fantastic. Um, so the last question is always the same here. Uh on the Work Life Up podcast, and I always ask the guests if they could give just one advice to senior leaders. So in your case, if you could, uh, David, only give one advice to senior male leaders about improving gender equality in their organizations, uh, what would be your advice?
0: So I'm going to give you two parts to this this one.
1: Yeah, I have people (laughs) who start negotiating at this point. (laughs) I'm
0: going to cheat. Uh, So... My one advice is, and and this might seem a little bit unexpected or different, is that as men, we have this gender equality and, and, and eliminating gender inequities in our workplace, believe it or not, will start at home. And so as as men, we have to go home and we've got to be all in equal partners at home first, before we're ever going to fix gender inequities and make the the workplace more fair and just for everyone, and that means take a look at make sure you're doing fifty percent of the again the the unpaid labor the domestic responsibilities at home whether you're married and have children or whatever your your uh, situation might be with your family and and if you're not sure ask your partner um, and you know if again if she tells you you know that hey you know Maybe you're not doing your 50%. You know, you can get a you can get a quick audit and see how you're doing, and then whatever she tells you, listen, and then go back and see what you can do more of that would be more helpful. And uh, certainly, there was a, a really interesting on the Better Life Lab with New America. Uh, they had a they were talking about the other day a Chorganizer. organizer, uh, and they actually had an Excel spreadsheet, the sample Excel spreadsheet where you could sit down and you could. You could do it real quick with your entire family if you have kids as well. Sit down and see who's doing what and, and the responsibility and the levels there. But I think that's really important that because, again, um, if we're going to change things in the workplace, we have, to, we have to start it at home. It matters for our kids as well because, again, we're role modeling for our sons. So as men, when we go home and we're all in equal partners at home, guess what? That's a new model of masculinity and, and gender roles that they're going to take with them when they go into the workplace. And then for our daughters— uh, when they see they have a father and they see him being again an all in equal partner at home, they're much more likely in the research it shows that they're going to move on and and stay in their their chosen career and career path, and they're going to be more successful in in achieving those career aspirations so we've got to start at home and then when you go back to the workplace, make sure you're talking about it um, talking about your family responsibilities and when you have to go do your fifty percent and take the kids to the doctor or or go to a soccer game um, make sure you leave loudly make sure everybody knows why and because we we as guys sometimes we tend to just kind of when we do those things again we don't want people to necessarily know it and we kind of slink out the side door and very quietly it's like no you're not helping everybody else because everybody else is dealing with exactly the same and so we need to be very loudly especially as leaders doing that in the workplace
1: fantastic well thank you so much david i took away so much uh, wisdom and, and insight from this conversation and I'm sure listeners as well um, so I just wanted to thank you again for for taking the time and joining me on this conversation and I wish you really the best of success with the, the work that you do which is absolutely vital and and also the best of success with the new book the good guys
0: thank you very much for having me. it's been a pleasure.